2: To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.
3: Hey, this is Bridget. And this is Annie. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Now, today, we're going to dive into a topic that I've sort of been, have to admit, kind of tuning out a little bit. Um, for my own kind of mental health, I found myself sort of tuning out the news because it's massively, massively depressing. But you know what? That is a huge privilege. Not everyone has the ability to just sort of tune out news when it does not necessarily affect them personally. And I kind of checked back in and... Everything is on fire
0: and things are horrible. That's a pretty accurate statement, yes.
3: So, what we wanted to dive into one of those topics, which is the crisis at our borders. Just really quickly, one thing to know is that we're recording this on Wednesday. Um, While we were putting together notes, there was sort of breaking news on that front just really early this morning. So by the time you listen to this, uh, things could be different. It's very much a situation that's in flux. So if you listen to this and say, oh, they didn't mention this new thing that happened, it probably happened after we recorded. Yeah. So the first thing to know about this situation is that it is hella confusing, and I feel like that's probably by design.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Press and lawmakers are having a hard time getting access to detention centers and thus are having a hard time reporting on it. When CNN went there, they were not allowed to take pictures or bring camera, and the only images that were allowed were the ones provided by the Department of Homeland Security.
3: Yeah, so you can imagine why that's not necessarily providing the full picture of what's happening. And you've actually seen interesting cases of folks who have worked for these centers and for DHS who are leaking video from inside or audio from inside. On The Rachel Maddow Show, a former employee ends up getting this audio of one of the officials at one of these centers telling a bunch of children in Spanish, you know, don't talk to reporters about your situation. We're trying to help you. We really want to unite you with your family. If you talk to reporters about what's going on, you could be on the news, and who knows how long you'll be here, you know, which is a pretty f-ed up thing to tell a bunch of kids who, one, are really confused already, and two, aren't with their parents. If they're minors, they're really not able to be, you know, making these kinds of decisions. It's kind of f-ed up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Another thing making it confusing is that the administration is being super f- unclear about everything to the point of downright lying and gaslighting. Yes. If you
3: listen to our episode on gaslighting, you know that myself and plenty of others feel like
0: they're being gaslighted by this
3: administration. This is a situation where it's very clear. Like when you actually sit down and look at all of the things different high-ranking people in this one administration have said that are contradictory, that are flat out untrue, when you look at all of them side by side, you feel like you're losing your mind. You feel like you are—it's one of those situations where you are— we are really being gaslit on a national scale. There's just no other way to put it. Yeah. So here are just some of the things that this one administration have said so far about this policy. Trump blamed Democrats on the policy of separating families at the border. He tweeted... Separating families at the border is the fault of bad legislation passed by the Democrats. Border security laws should be changed, but the Dems can't get their act together. So he's saying, okay, this policy exists, but it's the Democrats' fault. They have maintained that there was no policy of separating families at the border. Secretary of Homeland Security, Kristen Nielsen, tweeted, we do not have a policy of separating families at the border, period. This misreporting by members, press, and advocacy groups must stop. It is irresponsible and unproductive. So you know, what policy? policy does not exist.
0: And if it does, the Democrats did it. Right, yeah. So
3: they said that they were using separating families at the border as a way of deterring uh, immigrants from coming to America. White House Chief of Staff John Kelly has said this, and Jeff Sessions has said this. They've said it on video, so, you know, they've said it. We've seen it with our eyes. They've maintained that separating families at the border is actually biblically mandated. Jeff Sessions said this during a speech. According to The Hill, Sessions cited scripture while defending this policy, saying... I would cite to you the Apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained them for the purpose of order. Um, he said this at a speech in Fort Wayne,
0: Indiana. Stephen Colbert did a piece on this, on that specifically, where he went on to read Romans 13.10, which it continues, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law.
3: Yeah, but that particular piece of scripture does not Justify intense cruelty. So you basically no. just, just
0: ignore it. Right. <laughs> yeah. And um, other people have pointed out that scripture was also used to justify slavery.
3: Yeah. We should, like, what are we using scripture to justify? I mean, yeah. The whole thing is a farce. Yeah. Any, anyway. The whole thing is a farce. Yeah. Separating families at the border is being used as a negotiation tool. Uh, Trump tweeted Democrats can fix their forced family breakup at the border by working with Republicans on new legislation. It seems to be what he's suggesting there is that these children are being used as a kind of bargaining chip to get his wall, which is pretty disgusting. Another thing that he has said is that his hands were tied and that he could not overturn this policy by an executive order, that he needed Democrats and and Congress to get their acts together to do anything at all. His hands were tied. He said, I hate that children are being taken away, Trump told reporters on June 15th. The Democrats have to change their law. It's their law. When he was pressed on using executive action, he said, I can't do it through executive order. But obviously, that was a lie because on June 20th, he did exactly that, signing an executive order to keep parents and children together in detention. More on that later, but pretty clearly, that was just a lie. There's like like no other way to put it. He said one thing, and then his own behavior illustrated that that thing that he was on camera saying was not true.
0: Yep. The Washington Post has a great video rundown of just a slice of some of the contradictory statements coming out of this administration.
1: I want to focus on the American families who've been permanently separated from their children because of the sanctuary cities and open borders that Hillary Clinton so strongly supports.
3: Are Department of Homeland
1: Security personnel going to separate the children from their moms and dads? Yes, I
2: am considering, in order to deter, I am considering uh, exactly that.
1: And I hate it, but that's a Democrat bill that we're
3: enforcing. If I included things from just, you know, spokespeople who are not in the administration, this whole segment would be about showing how much they lie. But I only specifically chose... Statements, public statements from actual Trump administration officials. And this is how unclear it's being. And so when I was just compiling this, by the end of it, I felt dizzy. It was like, what is our policy? Is there a policy? It, like, is it basically they're saying there is no policy, but if there is, it's the Democrats' fault. And it would be a really good bargaining tool if there was. And actually, it would be biblically mandated if we had one, but we don't have one. And if we did have one, Trump could not get rid of it by executive order but he did. Yeah. So you can get a sense of why this is a dizzying situation.
0: Yeah. It reminds me of the narcissist prayer that you brought up in the, the gaslighting yeah. episode. Pains me to say this. This is such a good
3: example of gaslighting from our administration. I mean, I'm someone who pays pretty careful attention to the news generally when I'm not making a, a conscious effort to check out of it. And I feel like I don't have a lot of clarity about what's going on. And so imagine your average person who is, you know, a casual observer of the news. We don't have a situation where it's easy to understand what's going on in your own f-ing country, and that's a problem.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So what's really going on? There are a couple things that we can we can tell you. These
3: are our sort of, if we go back to the gaslighting episode, yeah. these, this, is, this is my gaslight where I know this is a number because I saw it on an official statement. You know, I know this is happening because I saw a picture of it.
0: Right, yeah, your facts so that you can refer back to. Your journal entry, Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) We know that at least 2,342 children were separated from their parents between May 5th and June 9th as a result of Trump's policy.
3: Exactly. So one question that I've seen sort of floating around a lot is, why is this happening? And I want to make it clear that a lot of folks have this narrative of people who cross our borders, they're doing so because they're fleeing economic oppression. And so for a long time, that was definitely true, that your average person... Crossing the border was a a man who was looking to find work to send money back home. But because of really, really violent situations in Central America, places like Honduras, places like El Salvador, now you have people who are fleeing with their entire family. So the situation has really, really changed. Many people are fleeing intense violence, gangs, and political turmoil in Central America. And this is, really sounds like a terrible situation for people who have children. Boys of a certain age, when they become, you know, 10, 11, 12, a lot of them are really targeted and pressured by gangs to join their gang. And if they don't, it can have really, really violent outcomes. And parents sometimes have to work extra to get money to provide security for their kids if they want this to be a situation their kids avoid. It's also bad for girls in places like El Salvador and Honduras because they're targeted at an early age to either be sexually abused or to become gang members. According to The Atlantic, the eventual fate of a girl, whether she is left alone, harassed into joining a gang or forced into becoming a sex slave, depends entirely on local leaders or palabreros who run the local cells or cliques of two of the largest gangs, MS-13 and Barrio-18. And it really just sounds like a terrifying situation for people who have children. Yeah. I'm reminded of this really beautiful um, Worse on Shire poem. She writes, no one puts their children on a boat unless the water is safer than the land. And that just really hits home for me because I think we need to remember that fleeing economic oppression To me, is valid, but a lot of times people are fleeing really serious life or death situations. They're not coming here for fun. When you talk to so many of them, they say, "If if I could have the choice to stay home, you don't think I would?" Yeah, yeah. It's like, of course they would. You know, people are coming with very young children. And they know that that they're making a very dangerous and tough decision to cross our borders. And no one would do that with a baby, with a baby under five, unless they didn't have a choice.
0: Yeah, I read people have been trying to figure out, I mean, whether this works at all as a deterrent, separating families at the border. And most everyone that they've talked to has said, that doesn't even factor into your mind when you make the decision, I have to flee from my life and my family's life. You're not thinking beyond that. You're thinking, this is a dangerous situation. and I have to get out of it. And no one's going to make that. Yeah, no one's going to make that choice, that dangerous choice, unless they feel like there is no other option.
3: Right. I know there's someone out there thinking, why don't they just call the police? Why don't they just do that? That's not an option in a lot of these places. All these places, they have such political turmoil that there really isn't a lot of action or recourse you could take, right? If a local gang is saying, you need to pay me X amount of money every week or I'm going to kill you and your family and you don't have that money, you don't have options to to do anything else. And so it just seems unimaginably cruel and not compassionate to not allow folks who are fleeing very serious life or death situations to do so. Side note, I would also add that some of these places, I would argue the reason why they have such political turmoil and instability is actually because of U.S. foreign policy intervention. And so kind of like, oh, you're going to make it so that my country is not a stable or safe place to live and then bar me from getting out of that situation,
0: which to me is just unfathomable. Yeah. And to make matters worse, earlier this month, Jeff Sessions barred domestic violence and gang violence as reasons to seek legal asylum in the United States.
3: So previously, if you were actually fleeing, you know, violence credibly, you could come to the United States. That was uh, that was how we did business, and honestly, Jeff Sessions, this move of barring domestic violence victims from seeking legal asylum in the United States, just, let's be clear, people will die at the hands of their abusers because of that choice. Like, there's no other way to say it. People will die, and it will be—that policy is going to get people killed, for sure. No doubt about it.
0: Yeah, I know I heard a report from someone—it it already has. They've, some reporters have, like, followed back to see what happened to people who were turned away, and it already has. Here's a good summary based on a Vox piece. Let's say you're fleeing a dangerous country like Honduras. You could go to a U.S. port of entry, like a border checkpoint, and claim asylum, which is legal. But if you cross the border not at a point of entry, it's a misdemeanor. If you're caught doing this, officials interview you to make sure you have, quote, credible fear if sent back to your home country. This is to determine whether you are eligible to go in front of a judge and seek asylum. About three in four people are deemed credible.
3: So before Trump's zero-tolerance policy, those who were deemed to have a credible fear would be put on a track to see an immigration judge who would figure out whether or not they could be granted asylum. Again, it used to be if you were fleeing violence, domestic violence, or gang violence, that kind of thing, you could be granted asylum in the United States. At that point, if you actually are fleeing violence, the U.S. has to keep asylum seekers because federal and international law says they can't just deport people back to places where they would face danger. And before Trump's zero-tolerance policy, families generally would be kept in detention together while they waited for the results of these proceedings. Now, some families were released and told to come back for a court date. Others were kept waiting in detention for up to 20 days, and if they had not seen a judge by then, they were released and told to return for a court date at some point during the future. If you recall, during the Obama administration, this was sometimes called catch and release. It was a policy of sort of okay, come back, we'll, we'll figure it out later. And Trump really vowed to sort of end this, this policy.
0: Yeah. And here are um, some of the things that are different about Trump's approach. Instead of first figuring out whether you should be granted asylum, the administration's first step is now to deal with the other matter at hand, the misdemeanor for illegal entry. Upon being apprehended by Border Patrol, you are set aside to be detained by U.S. Marshals and sent to a federal jail to await trial. And this is where the separation happens, because a child can't go with you to federal jail. He or she is taken from you and put under the supervision of the Department of Health and Human Services. And this is where you have those awful, awful pictures of children in cages.
3: And for a while, there was no set process for how these kids would be reunited with their parents. Now, just early this morning, a couple of hours before we were in the studio, a judge sort of made a ruling that, families had to be reunited after 30 days. So that's just a brand new thing. We'll talk more about that in in just a bit. But for the majority of this conversation, there was not a process in place for how kids would be reunited with their parents. In detention centers, a lot of immigrants don't have phone access. And sometimes it's taken parents months to track down their kids. Additionally, some parents are being deported without their children. And advocates say that some children are being deported without their parents. And so it just sounds like a really convoluted situation where parents are not being kept abreast of what's happening with their kids and vice versa.
0: Yeah. And a common refrain that you'll hear when this this whole thing comes up is, well, Obama and Bush separated families too. And that's awful. But Trump's zero tolerance policy is what makes it different. While past policy also attempted to dissuade illegal border crossing, the zero-tolerance part of this is new. The Obama policy made exceptions for families crossing the border with children to avoid separating them. According to figures obtained by the Washington Post, only about 21% of cases between 2010 and 2016 were referred for federal prosecution. Per CNN, under both Obama and his predecessor, President George W. Bush, tens of thousands of illegal immigrants were prosecuted via Operation Streamline though as pollifact reports most parents traveling with children were exempted.
3: So yeah, that's a really a key difference, which is that there were exceptions made, you know, I don't I want to be clear, I was a big big vocal critic of Obama's immigration policies and I think a lot of people on the left were, and so but I do know that Obama's administration was legitimately facing a an increase of immigrants coming through our borders, and so I think they implemented policies that i was very vocally against in order to deal with that the trump administration is is dealing with no such influx of immigrants and they are really kind of running wild with this immigration apparatus that the obama administration really did set up and so to be clear obama's immigration policies are what helped create the roadmap for where we are today. And Trump is really sort of running with that. I've heard people say things like, Obama built this apparatus and then gave the keys to a madman who was Trump. During the Obama administration, a federal judge in California ruled that Obama was violating a 20-year-old case known as Flores when it kept families detained for longer than 20 days. The Trump administration has used the Flores settlement as the backbone for separation policies today.
0: So that's our intro.
3: To I know this it's a situation. It's a lot. I mean it's infuriating. Yeah. It's a lot. It is. But that's sort of what's going down.
0: Yeah. Let's get more into the conditions and what they're like for the kids who are being detained. But first, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com.
2: Tennessee sounds perfect.
0: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor.
3: So to me, one of the saddest things, I don't know why this this particular nugget really stuck with me, but one of the saddest things I found about this situation is that parents, a lot of times, are being sort of misled about what's going on with their kids, and they don't find out until it's too late. According to federal defenders, some Border Patrol agents are straight up lying to families about how long they're being separated and why. A federal defender told Washington Post's Michael E. Miller that parents were told their children were just being taken away briefly for questioning. Liz Goodwin of the Boston Globe cites a defender saying that in several cases, children were taken by Border Patrol agents who said they were going to give them a bath. As the hours passed, it suddenly dawned on the mothers that the kids were not coming back. I can't imagine what that would be like. Having, first of all, a stranger taking my kid and saying, I'm going to give your kid a bath. Already, that would be bad enough. But then waiting as these hours go by and realizing I might not see her again. She might not be coming back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me, and I do hate when people just bring up the Nazis all the time, but I did visit Auschwitz when I was in Germany, and you kind of have this expectation, you know it's going to be miserable, you know the kind of kinds of things you're going to see, but the room that I, I broke down and started crying in was the room where it had all of the suitcases children had <laughs> packed, and they were excited because they were told, like, you're going to kind of go to this fun, like, you're going to get away and go to somewhere nice, and um, just suitcases, as far as you could see, of kids who packed. And it's just horrendous. That's heartbreaking. It is. Yeah.
3: So, So I want to say two things about that. Artists have done a photography series of photographing all of the things these kids bring because when you show up at these centers, they take your belongings. So if you come with like a teddy bear or like a doll, they take that from you. And there's something so heartbreaking about the things a, a migrant child brings when they're making this dangerous journey to, to for their lives. And then knowing that someone took that from them, you know, it's something something about that is so powerful to me. And again, what, what you said about this idea that the kids were excited, that reminds me so much of all of these f***ing holes in the media saying things like, oh, it's basically a summer camp. Yeah. It's no different than when you go to boarding school. Like people saying, "Oh, they get to watch movies. They get to play games. They're not with their f- parents. They're kids." Like you could take me from my parents and take, like, put me on a Caribbean cruise if I'm not with my mom and I'm a kid. That's that's a problem. And the fact of the matter is, if it's a summer camp, then send your kids there. That's what I want to say. If it's a summer camp, then I would like Laura Ingram to send her daughter there. If it's if it's so nice and such a nice experience,
0: yeah. And it just. The uncertainty and not knowing would be so scary. You don't know what's going on. You're just, you're just in this place without your parents. And very young babies are being taken from their parents. Three centers in Combs, Raymondville, and Brownsville in southern Texas called tender age centers, which have been repurposed to house the youngest migrants, including those younger than five, the Associated Press reported. Within three days, the children are supposed to be transferred from immigration detention to the Office of Refugee Resettlement, which is part of the Department of Health and Human Services. The CEO of Southwest Key, which operates 26 ORR shelters, tells NPR the children at his facilities range from ages zero to 17. Like babies. Zero, yeah. Babies. So here's why that's so bad. One former detention center worker who
3: recently quit because of all of these conditions, he has been really vocal about speaking out about what's happening. He basically said that, for the most part, before this policy, young people who crossed the border, 80% of the time they were teenagers who were doing it alone, and they sort of knew the drill. They knew what to expect. Usually they'd be detained for a while, and then they would go live with a family member, or sometimes their own parents. And so these were older kids who sort of, knew the drill. Now, it's very young babies who are basically traumatized. Uh, This worker says that he quit because the shelter where he worked in Tucson, Arizona, which previously had been pretty well-run and well-organized and was able to provide at least some sort of structure for these kids, is now just overwhelmed by an influx of younger, more traumatized, really, babies, which is sort of a change from how things had been uh, up until that point.
0: Yeah. And when you think of... Just the logistics of it, a baby's not going to be able to to speak to tell you the names of his or her parents exactly like, yeah i
3: read a I read a really troubling report that a girl was being detained with a baby and that she didn't know this baby it wasn't a, a relative of hers, and she was changing the baby's diaper because it was just such a chaotic situation that you had like a young girl taking care of an even younger girl because the, the, the detention center was just that ill-equipped to handle it. So this worker who quit, he actually says that his breaking point came when he had to tell two siblings, ages 6 and 10, they couldn't hug each other. They called me over the radio, and they wanted me to translate to these kids that the rule of the shelter is that they were not allowed to hug, he says. And these kids had just been separated from their mom, basically just huddling and hugging each other in a desperate attempt to remain together. He had to say, you, you can't hug. That would break me. I would quit too. I would not I would not be able to do that.
0: Yeah, that's like villain, movie villain level of barbaric, like no hugging. Southwest Keys says it has a clear policy that allows touching and hugging in certain circumstances.
3: So who knows? I mean... Yeah. Um, the American Academy of Pediatrics has said the practice of separating children from their parents at the border can cause the children, quote irreparable harm which of course it's traumatic babies particularly baby babies like every kids need to be with their parents but babies being taken and put in a shelter I mean baby jails how will we come to this
0: yeah if you haven't heard it already ProPublica obtained this audio of babies wailing and it's just unbearable let's take a quick listen (laughs) <laughs>
3: if that doesn't kind of move you to wanna take action and help these kids, yeah, it's 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 almost hard to talk about for me. Someone who was seemingly unmoved by this this audio is Homeland Security Secretary Kristen Nielsen. Protesters in DC stood outside of her house and played this audio very loudly to sort of drive home the message that hey this is what you're
0: this is what you're doing. The Associated Press visited one site and described a large dark facility with separate wings for children, adults, and families. Inside an old warehouse in South Texas, hundreds of children wait in a series of cages created by metal fencing. One cage had 20 children inside. Scattered about are bottles of water, bags of chips, and large foil sheets intended to serve as blankets. That doesn't sound like a summer camp to me.
3: Yeah, there was no situation like that in any of the summer camps that I went to. I'm very curious what kind of summer camps Laura Ingram went to that this sounds like.
0: Yeah. Yeah, seriously. This turned into a whole other frankly silly debate about whether or not the kids were being kept in cages. It is not in dispute that children are being kept in chain link structures, but the administration bristled at the word cages because we are (laughs) in that much of an Orwellian nightmare right now.
3: Yeah, that whole debate that was a blip in the news cycle of, well, are they cages or are they chain link structures? I could give a Like, I, I was so horrified. Some of the conversations that have dominated the news cycle on this issue, have made me, have nauseated me. Are they actually cages? Is it civil to kick somebody out of a restaurant? I could give a Kids are in real, real bad situations. The fact that we've kind of even allowed this conversation to even be slightly dominated by these, frankly, the the silliness is, enrages me to no end. It makes, it boils my blood.
0: Yeah. Another thing that, Boils my blood. The policy is especially cruel to children with special needs. And when a pundit on Fox News bought up a 10 year old girl with Down syndrome who was taken from her mother at the border, former Donald Trump campaign chief Corey Lewandowski said, Womp womp.
3: Literally. He, yeah. Here's the clip. I read today about a 10-year-old uh, girl with Down syndrome who was taken from her mother and put in a cage. War, war. I read about a... a Did you say want-want to a 10-year-old with Down syndrome what being I taken from her you mother? What I said is you can pick anything How you want but the bottom line How is very clear. How dare you?
1: When you cry the absolutely dare you, illegally. you,
3: sir? Can you imagine being this much of a hole? I mean, th- when I saw this, I, was, I just thought, I, I hate to say, oh, such and such is a monster because I think when we demonize people who make bad laws and we say they're monsters it divorces us from the idea that they're just like us they're people who are responsible for really bad policy it, it sort of like allows us to remove ourselves from them but when i saw this i thought this guy's a monster this guy is an hole and a monster and i hate him like I, I was so enraged when i saw this clip so <laughs> enraged and he also refused to apologize for it so another like, yeah. this guy sounds like a real gem so we're take a quick break because i'm getting a little a little a heated but I want to talk more about where we're at with the situation and sort of what can be done about it after a quick break.
1: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand. Temp to hire part-time or full-time you name the position. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
0: Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To
2: start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.
0: This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring
3: So after much outcry, Trump signed an executive order, even though he specifically said that he had no power to do this earlier because he's a liar and an hole, He did sign an executive order uh, that made some movement on this policy. So basically, his order said that families will be kept together while awaiting proceedings. To be clear, it does not end his zero-tolerance policy or include any plan for how the children who are already separated from their parents will be reunited. And so there was a lot of, you know, well done, Trump, blah, blah, blah that because it really didn't do that much at all. And again, I have a hard time taking this seriously because just days after he was sort of cajoled into signing this order, he was joined by what he called angel families, people who have lost loved ones at the hands of undocumented immigrants, in an attempt to shift the focus of his horrible policies. These families held poster-sized photos of their slain offspring that Trump decided was uh, an appropriate thing to actually autograph, which to me seems a little bit tactless, but whatever. I guess I'm not president. Now, Trump actually tried to make this really, I think, unfair rhetorical point that we're all up in arms about kids who are being separated from families temporarily, quote-unquote, when we've got families who are separated permanently because of, quote, the violence of undocumented immigrants. He said... These are American citizens permanently separated from their loved ones. The word permanently being the word that you have to think about. Permanently. They are not separated for a day or two days. Permanently separated, Trump said. Basically, you know, I know that it's very, very tragic to lose a loved one. Um, And I I think that people who have lost loved ones to violence or the actions of of undocumented immigrants should, you know, speak up about that. I'm not saying they shouldn't and I, I feel for them. But using that to make the case for his atrocious policies at our border is just, it's not fair. Because he's sort of going off of this idea that undocumented immigrants are responsible for crime, which is just a lie. There's no truth to it. According to a 2017 report from the Cato Institute, a libertarian think tank 1.53% of Native-born Americans are incarcerated. Now compare that with the 0.85% of undocumented immigrants and the 0.47% of legal immigrants. The Marshall Project in 2018 did an analysis of data from 200 metropolitan areas over the last few decades. They found that crime has actually fallen despite immigrant populations increasing. And other studies have pretty much agreed that immigration has really no effect on crime. So Trump kind of saying that, oh, the reason I'm doing this is because there's all of these immigrants are coming into our country and committing crimes. That's just factually not a correct statement, even if he gets on a stage and says otherwise.
0: Yeah. And on Tuesday night, a judge ruled that families had to be reunified in 30 days. A judge in California on Tuesday ordered U.S. border authorities to reunite separated families within the 30 days, setting a hard deadline in a process that has so far yielded uncertainty about when children might see their parents. If children are younger than five, they must be reunified within 14 days of the order issued Tuesday by U.S. District Judge Dana Sabra in San Diego. Sabra, an appointee of President George W. Bush, also issued a nationwide injunction on future family separations unless the parent is deemed unfit or doesn't want to be with the child. It also requires the government to provide phone contact between parents and their children within 10 days.
3: So I'm glad we have a little bit of clarity on this situation, which so far has been very unclear for these kids. So I know this is a heartbreaking cluster of just awful, awful but what can be done? So here's some things that you should know. One, if you're thinking this sounds like a nightmare, something that you should know is there's a growing chorus of folks on the left who are actually talking seriously about abolishing ICE. So you might be thinking, that sounds wild, we need ICE. But actually, even though ICE seems like a very big part of our political system now, it's really only been a thing since 2003. It was created in response to 9-11 under the Bush administration, which combined 22 different federal agencies into a new cabinet-level department. Now, for decades, the Immigration and Naturalization Service, or INS, had handled legal immigration and the enforcement of immigration laws. But under the massive government restructuring in 2003, those tasks were split among three new agencies— Now, we should do a long follow-up episode on the awful racist failures of ICE as an organization. But Tina Vasquez has a really good piece um, on Rewire.com called The New ICE Age, an agency unleashed that we'll link to in the show notes. And she basically charts how horrible ICE is and how we got to this situation. And basically, it just sounds like something needs to be done about ICE. She has a really telling quote from a former ICE official the American public needs to begin wrapping its head around the disproportionate political power that ICE wields. The most extreme environment isn't extreme enough for them. Under Trump, ICE can do more damage than we've ever seen. So it really sounds like this is a, an agency that could use some oversight, could use some restructuring, could use something because it's not, it's not working now. And actually, you have lawmakers on the left who are formally getting behind this idea of abolishing ICE. Uh, Congressman Mark Pecan out of Wisconsin announced that he would introduce a bill to abolish ICE and crack down on the agency's blanket directive, target and round up individuals and families.
0: And New York gubernatorial candidate Cynthia Nixon called for ICE to be abolished last week, and a number of congressional candidates, including Deb Holland, who won her primary in New Mexico earlier this month, have done the same. This week, three Democratic members of Congress have joined them. So that's something to keep in
3: mind. I think we should do an entire episode on this concept of abolishing ICE, which I would love to do. But, you know, if that's something that you think, oh, gee, that sounds like a good idea, definitely do some more some more digging into this, this growing chorus of folks that are calling for ICE to be abolished. Another thing that you can do is... Reach out to your lawmakers. Even if they've already heard from you, they need to know that you will not stand for families being separated at the borders.
0: You can donate to the Refugee and Immigrant Center for Education and Legal Services, R-A-I-C-E-S. It is a 501c3 nonprofit that promotes justice by providing free and low-cost legal services to underserved immigrants, children, families, and refugees in Central and South Texas. R-A-I-C-E-S is the largest immigration nonprofit in Texas with offices in Austin, Corpus, Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, and San Antonio.
3: And you may have actually seen this viral donation campaign going around Facebook where they actually raised a record-breaking $20 million for the org. So that's great. And another thing you can do is show up to a rally. There's going to be huge rallies and protests all over the country tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Friday, tomorrow, uh, June 30th. You can go to familiesbelongtogether.org to find a rally near you. I'll be at the one in D.C., so if you come, be sure to tweet at me, say hello. I'll be there. I'll be very angry, but I'll be there. <laughs> um, yeah, and just, I think if you're, if this is an issue that breaks your heart, like it breaks my heart, show up for it.
0: Absolutely. We would love to hear from you. In the meantime, you can email us at momstuff at momstuffathowstuffworks.com. You can find us at Mom Stuff Podcast on Twitter at or on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You. Thanks, as always, to our producer Dylan Fagan and Kathleen Quillian, and thanks to you for listening. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring